Let me, let me get some applause for these guys up here because they tore it up tonight. thing up here. All right, sweet. I got my graphic up here. It says, I'm a hope dealer. Because hope is one of the few things that you can actually give to another person when it comes to like spiritual gifts. Like I can have faith, but I can't give you faith. And I can have love and I can love you, but I can't like give that to you. But, but hope is something I can share and something that you can take from me. So that's kind of the point here on tonight's study. Um, so George and Steve are still in India. I guess you guys are tired of hearing Bill, so they let me teach tonight. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. If I could real quick, let me have you uh, turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you guys a story real quick. So I got a wireless mic. I think I can walk around a little bit. We'll see what happens. I've been a, uh, a huge Laker fan for pretty much as long as I can remember. And <laughs> when I was a little, little kid, they were like amazing Showtime Lakers, Magic, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, it was best of the best. And as I grew older and could actually understand basketball and be an actual fan, that was no longer the case. It was the 1990s, it was Michael Jordan era, and the Lakers were not very good. So as I grew into high school and my junior, senior years, we got Kobe and Shaq. And it was like, the return to the promised land. Like we had hope again that we would be champions once again. So I say all that to bring you to uh, May 13th, 2005. It's the Western Conference semifinals against the Lakers and the Spurs. They're tied two to two. It's game five in San Antonio. And it's been a close game, back and forth. They're fighting for kind of momentum in this series. And this is like the two best teams out of the West during 98 to 2012, basically. So we were watching, I had a bunch of friends, we were at my friend's house, we were super excited, and we'd just been pumped up this whole game. And as the kind of closing seconds are there, the Lakers are hanging on to a one-point lead, and it's 72-71, um, Lakers are winning. So with about five seconds left, Tim Duncan gets the ball, does this like dribble, drop step, fadeaway jumper, double teamed by Shaq and Robert Ory, and hits one of the most amazing baskets you'll ever see with 0.4 seconds left on the clock. And when he hit that, the entire crowd in San Antonio loses it. They're screaming, they're on their feet, they're excited. And me and all my friends, we're like dejected. Well, let me correct myself. My friends are dejected. And just the wind's out of them, and I can hear them like, well, we'll win the next one. And we're not going to give up. We can still do this. And for whatever reason, I sat there just like, no, guys, we're good. Like, we can still win this game. You only need 0.3 seconds to shoot a shot. I don't know if you guys knew that, but there's an actual rule for that. I don't know why I knew that, but I did. And so with 0.4 on the clock, hey, we can do this. We got Kobe and Shaq. We got Big Shot Bob. Robert Ory's hit some of the biggest shots in Laker history. What are you guys worried about? All we got to do is catch and shoot. So... Lakers call a timeout. Phil Jackson draws up a play. I can only imagine it's going to Kobe. As they're inbounding the ball, Kobe gets double teamed. Shaq gets double teamed. And little Derek Fisher comes curling around the court. And as they inbound it, all in one motion, he jumps, catches, and shoots all at the same time. 
and it felt like the whole world just slowed down and the ball just kind of floated through the air and then swished nothing but net. And the Lakers win against San Antonio Spurs and went on to win that series. And I just remember after the game thinking like, why did you guys even doubt? Like, this is Kobe and Shaq. Like, this is the greatest Laker team of all time. And for whatever dumb reason, I just knew we'd win. Like, there was just no doubt I had hope. And my hope was in the guys on my team. And it was, it was just, for whatever reason, always stood out in my head. And, you know, I knew they'd, they'd come through. Now, hope doesn't always work this way. I mean, you can look at the World Series with the Dodgers. Oh. <laughs> too soon, too soon. No worries. No worries. My bad. We'll skip that. But hope is an interesting thing because hope can seem logical and it can seem illogical sometimes. And that's kind of what I want to discuss tonight is, is where does your hope come from? How can you count on that hope and what, what is it there for? So in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So in this passage here, there's kind of two key components to the hope that's presented. In the first couple of verses, it really talks about our justification and that we've been sanctified and we have access to God. And so there's our eternal hope. There's our hope of salvation. That at some point, this body of ours is going to break down and we're going to join the Lord in heaven for all of eternity. And that's a, a tremendous blessed hope that hopefully you guys are all hanging on to. And at the same time, when you look at verses 3 and 4, it's that hope exists here through earthly tribulations. And we're going to deal with hard times there's going to be job losses. There's going to be loss of family and friends. The car's going to break down. The dog's going to get hit by a car. I mean, stuff happens. And yet, we're still given this hope. And it's, it's kind of funny to me that it talks about, you know, that tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance character. And out of that comes hope. So I started just thinking, you know, what is hope? What's a definition for hope? And so there's, there's kind of two definitions a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, or a, a feeling of trust. And, you know, it's funny because verse 3 and 4, as it talks about we glorying in tribulations, knowing that at the end of all that, we will have hope. That's like that feeling of trust. That's where our expectation comes. Um, in Wikipedia, which I don't normally quote, but I did fact check this one. Uh, if you look up hope in Wikipedia, <coughs> It quotes from Barbara Fredrickson, who's a professor of psychology at the University of North Carolina. And she argues that hope comes into its own when crisis looms, opening us to new creative possibilities. And it's funny because, like, when you think of hope, when things are going well, you, you really don't think of hope per se. I mean, you may kind of think, like, man, I, I hope things keep going like this, but it's... It's almost like an afterthought, because you're just riding the wave. You're, you're enjoying what's going on. But when you're in dark times, when this stuff's breaking, and family troubles, and financial troubles, and whatever else is going on, man, hope may be all that you have to hang on to. 
And, and the opposite of that is being hopeless. And, and, and that's not what God has for us. Um, in other words, like, the degree of hope that you need is relative to how hard your circumstances are. And so, like, when I think back to my Laker game, it was a Laker game. So, yeah, I, I had a hope, but if they had a loss, they would have been like, oh, well, we'll just play the next one. It wasn't a big deal. So, yes, there was hope placed in them, but it, it wasn't anything that was really that going to you know, be life-changing. Now, <clears throat> I was looking up, like, survival situations, uh, and when you Google that, there's, there's a bunch of websites out there, and there's kind of two types. You'll see some that really go over, like, accounts of survival situations, which usually involve people who are not trained for survival situations. And then there's also those that are like survival preparedness websites that are like, hey, if you end up there, this is how to make it. And site after site that I look at, the very first thing they talk about is a positive mindset. They talk about the need for hope, and that if you lose that, regardless of what training you have, you will generally succumb to the situation that you're in. But there's all these accounts of other people that have been there with, with no formal training, nor formal experience, but there's this hope that we're going to make it, and it's allowed them to overcome extraordinary circumstances. And it's, it's mind-blowing to read some of these, but once again, you look at the degree of the situation that they're in and the degree of the hope that's required. And it's funny, I, I think back of like that movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, and if I'd have ended up on that island with that volleyball, I'd have never made it. I'd have just been like, dude, I'm over this. Forget it. Just take me home, Lord. Like, there's nothing worth it here. But, but man, he just had this, like, I'm going to make this raft. We're going to tie it up with some, with some VHS tapes, and we're going to go for it. With no plan. Like, there's no knowing what's out there. There's sharks and all kinds of stuff going to eat you. And he's just like, we're good. And he made it. And, it. and it just goes to that, once again, hope. And it's like, there's a few questions I want you guys to ask yourself. What do you place your hope in? How do you know your hope is true or is it false? Do you know the promises of hope from God? And what do you do with your hope? Uh, so real quick for the note takers, in Psalm 33, 16 through 8, um, it gives a great contrast of hope as far as eternal versus earthly hope. Uh, in verse 16 it starts, it says, No king is saved by a multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver, and by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. And I think it was just such a great illustration because it's, it's easy to place our hope in the things that are around us because those things seem like they're solid. They seem like they're going to be there day in and day out. And I was thinking about the, the Titanic. And, you know, when it was advertised and people were buying tickets, this boat can't be sunk. This boat is the best one ever built. We're good to go. There was so much hope placed in that promise that they didn't even have enough lifeboats for the people on board. And so as it struck that iceberg and began to sink, I wonder how many people thought about, man, we were wrong. We placed our hope in this thing and it failed us. And, I, you know, you can think back to you know, monetary hope, and those retirement accounts that we have, those 401ks, those savings accounts. And, you know, as a kid, it was always, look at the Great Depression, and look what they went through. Well, now let's look at 2008, look at the economic downturn there. And I'm sure for a lot of you folks here, there was, 
big hits to retirement funds, and there were questions about what was going to happen going forward, and, and are we going to make it? And, it? and so easily, the hope that we place there can be taken away. And, and even just as far as little things, or, or more simple things like, like housing, you know, for a lot of people, the, the American dream is, is buying that house, and, and you have that hope there, this is our retirement, we can either rent this or sell this, or we're going to have this forever. And uh, I was watching with my kids on the news last month, and there was a sinkhole that opened up in Florida, just out of the ground and swallowed four houses. I mean, how do you prepare for that? Like, do you get sinkhole insurance? Like, is there a way to even know that's going to happen? Like, the ground just ate their house. <laughs> what do you do? And, you know, you, you just, you can't lean on the stuff of the earth. You can't lean on the stuff of this world in order to make it. <clears throat> in a contrast, in Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24, I'll give you a second to write that down. It says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful, and he repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And that's where we want to place our hope in, because God is faithful. He loves us no matter what we do. He's delivered us from death, and he promised us salvation to be with him. I mean, he's already won that battle. And so in the same way that I had hope in the Lakers, and for you Dodger fans, you had hope they'd come back in Game 7, their performance all year would lead you to believe that they would have been fine. I mean, they, they played amazing. But my Lakers didn't win the championship that year, and the Dodgers didn't win the championship this year, and you can't count on anything here. It's, it's going to do its best, but there's times it's going to fail. There's times that I'm going to fail my family. There's times that all of us are going to come up short. But God and his promises to us, has never come up short. He's never failed in all of eternity. He's never not come through on a promise. And that's how that you can kind of find the difference between like a false hope and a true hope. Um, that just goes into my next point. Like, how do you know your hope is true? Like, how do you know that you're not hoping against hope? Like, it's not just a, a frivolous hope. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And as I was going through here, you'll see the word faith and hope in so many verses together. And they're, they're like twin brothers. Like those things go together. You can't separate them. It's like salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly. Like if you have hope, you're going to have faith because of that hope. Because it's an evidence of it. And... You know, I was just trying to think, like, like, what is authentic faith? Like, what does that really look like? Like, is that just, like, the cultivation of, like, an optimistic worldview with a little bit of holiness attached to it? Or is it, like, a holy hoping for the best? Like, is, is faith really just, just blind hope? Is it really just something that you just jump off the precipice with? And I don't believe that's the case. I think faith is a confident assurance of things not yet seen. It should be calculated. It should be something that you can look at from a completely logical perspective and say, this is why I have faith. And if you have a true understanding of who God is, if you have a true understanding of his character and who he is in a personal relationship, then it makes that faith real. It makes that hope something that can change your life. And it's like if you were truly gripped by the reality of what his promises were, it would change how you lived your daily life. It wouldn't allow you to let circumstances 
dictate how you feel when you wake up in the morning. It wouldn't allow you to get to a place of being so hopeless that you just want to give up. And in order to do that, in order to have that reality of his promises, you, you've got to know what his promises are. I mean, that's the, kind of the end of it all. And the best way to do that is just to meditate on his word. Um, I was re- reading back through and I was, I was just thinking of David. And I always love how you know, it says David's a man after God's own heart. And I just think of somebody and it's like, he is so flawed. Like He's done everything you can possibly do wrong. But that encourages me because I think I've done probably almost everything you can possibly do wrong. And so I guess I still got hope too, right? That I can be a man after God's own heart. And I was just really thinking about David. And when I read the Old Testament, I really try to think of like the human element because you know you hear these stories so many times that it's, it, it can almost become just stories. But these are people. like These are stories of their lives. And there was emotion. There were feelings. There was interactions between family members. And as I think back to some of the circumstances that he dealt with, as a young man with Saul pursuing him, trying to kill him, and, and I think back to like a boss that I had years ago that, I mean, literally almost put me to a breaking point. And I'm so thankful that I made it through that. But that was like a glimmer of what he was probably dealing with and, and being alone in those caves and, and on the run. I think back to, to Bathsheba and him uh, having her husband killed and the guilt that he must have lived with every day dealing with that. And as... You know, the prophet came to him and said, hey, this is what happened. The Lord brought this to me, and he lost his kid. And once again, that guilt multiplied. And then I would imagine that Bathsheba would have been upset about that, right? He's a mom. Her kid's gone. It's his fault. I mean, it's really his fault. And just the turmoil that would have been in that family. And so it makes sense to me when you read the Psalms, and David talks about like his bones rotting and his eyes just being flooded with tears, and like him just feeling just the pangs of death upon him, like, I get it, man. You were there. Like, he was in the pit of it all. And I know all of us have probably been there at some point with some certain circumstance, whatever it might have been, it felt like the end. And without hope, you can easily end up in a hopeless place. And you can easily end up somewhere where it feels like, this is it, I can't turn around. And that's why it's so important to know those promises of God. And David was always able to fall back on that. And the way he did that, he was just always meditating on the Lord. When you, when you read the Psalms and he says, you know, I meditate on your word night and day. I wake up and I cry out to you. So I've got a few here I want to read off for you guys. These are going to be somewhat rapid fire. I'll read the verses, but just try to write them down. And if you want, I'll get them to you later. Um, Psalm 33:22 says, Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Psalm 38, 15, it says, For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God. Psalm 39, 7, it says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And a very popular one, Psalm 42, 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And it's Psalm 71, 5, it says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. And Psalm 71, 14, it says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. 
And the theme through all of that that delivered David was his hope that he had in God. And the way that he had that hope was because of the relationship that he had with him, because they were in constant communion. He was constantly crying out to the Lord. He was constantly waiting to hear and see what those promises were. And those promises of God is what he was able to put his hope in, and that's what grew his faith. And that's what allowed him to, to, to display that faith to us to now be encouraged by. And that's kind of where I, I get the theme of, of a hope dealer. Like when I, when I used to go to dark times, man, there's psalms that I would just go to, and I could read those and be encouraged. And he, it was like he was able to give me his hope. And that's, I think, a unique thing with that particular trait, because you can't share that with other people and say, hey, I've, I've been there, I understand what you're going through, and this is how I made it because I put my faith in God and he was my hope through this time. In, uh, in Romans 15:13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and once again, just that theme of being able to give and be given hope you know, God loves us. That's something he proactively does for us. We can put our faith in him, but he gives us hope. That's a gift from him, just like the Holy Spirit. And, and so when it says the God of hope, that's who he is. So if you're going to have faith in him as a natural byproduct, you have to have hope. Otherwise, your faith isn't genuine. I mean, truly, it's just not. Because if you can't have a hope in him that can redeem you, what are you believing in? Do you actually trust what he says? Do you actually believe that he'll come through on the promises that he made for you? So if you call yourself Christian and you don't have hope, then you've got to figure out your faith. There's a disconnect there somewhere. The last question that I wanted to cover for you guys was, <clears throat> what do you do with your hope? Like, what do you do with that? And kind of going back to, to Hebrews 11, and faith being the evidence of your hope. In order to build and grow your faith, you have to be able to build your hope. And so in order to do that, you've got to expand your understanding of who God is. And so from a very practical standpoint, that means being in his word. And, and understanding that the words that are written there in the Bible, those are the same words that spoke the universe into existence. Those are the same words that cast out demons. Those are the same words that healed the lame and the sick. And those are the same words that he's written for us. And we have to believe in that and have an understanding. And in spending time and learning about those promises and learning about the things that he's done for those people in the past, that's how you can gain that confidence in who he is and that he's going to be faithful to deliver to you. And if you can build that faith, and that can be something that you truly get a, a grasp of, then you can live a life of action based on that faith. You can live a life of obedience. You can live a life where you go out and proclaim who he is to the lost because the hope is so overwhelming you have no choice but to share it. It's not merely believing in God. It's believing God. It's believing what he has actually said. And so, you know, I ask, do you want to be a more consistent Christian? Do you want to be a, more, a stronger Christian? You want to be a bolder Christian that goes out and speaks. And if that's what you want, then you need to strengthen your faith. And your faith is going to be in direct proportion to the object of your hope. And that object needs to be God. 
Let me read for you. This is a long one, so bear with me. Uh, out of Lamentations, I guess there's not a specific person who wrote this, but they think the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, so Lamentations chapter 3, 1 through 26. Like I said, it's a long one. Bear with me. <clears throat> it says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. Verse 7. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out, and he has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone, and he has made my paths crooked. He has, made, he has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his, quizzer to pier, of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. Verse 16. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope has perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. You guys ever been in a place like that? I've been in a place like that. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I just think... Is, is your faith weak? Do you feel like there's no hope? Are you in circumstances right now that just seem too big to get out of? And I would encourage you to reevaluate what you're putting your hope in. Is your hope in a better job? Is it that the car will last a little bit longer? Is it that you and your spouse will, will not fight this weekend? Is, is your hope that uh, you get that promotion at work? Or is your hope in God? He's the one that you'll be able to count on. He's the one that's going to be able to deliver you through this. And the only way to change is to grow in your relationship and your knowledge in Him. And, and that starts tonight. That starts before you go to bed tonight. That's, that's that prayer. Lord, I'm crying out to you. This is where I'm at. Please come and save me. And He's going to hear that cry. That's going to come up to His ears and He's going to respond to you. And how amazing is that? That the God of all the universe, the God who created everything around us, listens to you, that he's eager to hear from you, that he loves you as his own child. And, and I know for my kids, when they ask for something, however ridiculous it might be, that I want to give it to them. And I do my very best. And it doesn't always happen, but I, but I try. And, and as Jesus said, you know, that's, that's your heavenly or your earthly father that gives you good gifts. And how much more does your heavenly father do? So I would encourage you guys Start there with that prayer life. Start 
in the quietness with just you and God. Wake up in the morning and seek him. First thing you do. It's, it's so easy to be distracted in everything that goes on. I'll be the first to admit that the first thing I do is check my phone. Who does that, right? I got to see what the score was last night. I got to see how many likes I got on Instagram. <laughs> and I got to see if anybody texted me and, you know, and I didn't respond. But I should be saying, hey, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for, for one more chance to share who you are with the people that you put around me. So I would encourage you guys, be that bold Christian. Be that consistent Christian. Be that Christian that walks in a hope of who God is and in a faith that gives you confidence in the things that you haven't seen yet, but that you know he's promised you. And that'll carry you through the earthly tribulations and that'll carry you on to that eternal salvation that we've all been promised. Amen? All right. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I just give you thanks, Father, for just being so faithful to us, Lord. I give you thanks that we can count on you, Lord, and that no matter what the situation seems like, that you give us a hope that we can rely on, Father. So I pray for everybody here, Lord, including myself, Father, that I would just be able to have a, a hope in you, Lord, that just transcends the circumstances, and the situations that are around me, Father. I pray that I would have a hope that's contagious to those who are around me, Father. And I pray that I'd have a hope that I could share with others to help them get through those times, Lord. We just uh, lift up everyone here tonight, Lord. I give you thanks for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.